You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Great to see all of you here today. Let me wish you a happy new year. Great to have you with us. If you're a guest this morning and I've not had a chance to meet you, I'll be out in the lounge along with Michael and some other of our key leaders here at the church. We'd love to answer any questions that you might have. And this is a fantastic weekend for you to be here at the family of Riverside because we've got a lot to share with you today. We're beginning a brand new series, as Michael has already mentioned, and we're also going to be casting some vision and some direction at the end of our time together here today. So I'm looking forward to that. And then after that, we're gonna go to the four tables in the corners of the room and we're gonna receive the communion elements. We're gonna remember what Jesus did for us. And Abby Davis is gonna take us through that in just a little while. So got a lot planned. If you want to turn in your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter one. There are paper Bibles in the chairs below you there if you would like to do that. And also you'll find digital notes and everything that you need for this message inside of the Riverside app when you first open it up. Now, let me just say again, for those of you that are new today, that Riverside began a yearly theme back in September. We call that theme Fully Alive. And since September, in each one of our message series, we've been looking at what does it mean to live a fully alive life in Christ. Jesus said that he came to give us life, but not any life, a life that was to be lived, a life to the fullest, a life that's abundant and satisfying. And so we've been talking in these message series about what it looks like for a person to live fully alive. And so we decided that this year, at the beginning of a new year, and the beginning of a new decade, we would preach through the Gospel of Mark. So for the next 15 weekends, over the course of four message series, we will be in, in Mark's Gospel. Now, we'll start this weekend, and on Easter Sunday, that's all the way into April, we are still got to go through the winter months, and we still got to endure the playoff season without the Steelers in it, and let's just take a moment... Okay, but I will say this, at least the Patriots aren't going any further. Can I get an amen there? Somebody, come on now. Misery loves company, right? So I could preach on that for a while, but we'll just keep on moving. So we're gonna be in this series over the next several weeks and we'll land the plane in Mark 16 at the resurrection on Easter Sunday. So before that though, We're borrowing from a statement that the Apostle Paul, writing in the first century to one of the churches that he had founded and helped to nurture and grow, he says this to the church in Colossae. He says, all of God lives fully in Christ and you have a full life, not just a full life, but a full and true life in Christ. And so what we see as we look through the, the Gospel of Mark is that that life, that full, true life in Christ comes through the various scenes and the various stories that Mark depicts of Jesus in the first century. A person who is fully alive, who has a true life in Christ, is somebody who's been fully called, who becomes fully convinced, who has been fully changed and is fully committed. And so we're gonna watch that arc go throughout the Gospel of Mark the arc through Mark of those various scenes as we look at fully called, fully convinced, fully changed, and fully committed. And so we want to join, we encourage you to join us. Now, to help you with that, we've broken up the Gospel of Mark into 16 weeks 
to go with the 16 weeks readings for each week. And so we've been posting those in the private Riverside Face group. If you're not a part of that, you can request to be a part of that. We'll give you access to that and you can read. What we did was we took all each of the chapters and we broke them into a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday reading and then some questions that go with it. Now, you can go through Facebook if that's your preferred method or you can see right in the Riverside app, right below the notes for the messages, you can see right inside of there, Uh, a fully called devotional piece. And you can click on that devotional area and you'll find week one, three readings. And it broke Mark down and we started last week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday last week. If you're uh, uh, behind, you can catch up. If you wanna read ahead for Mark chapter two next week, you can just stay right with us right inside the app or look for the Facebook posts that will occur at 6 a.m. each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So that's a little bit about the the housekeeping issues that we wanna go through. I want to begin today as we think about and prepare uh, for communion and for the text that we're going to be looking at here. I want to begin by asking you this very simple question. Who hates talking on the phone? Let me see your hands. You keep your hands up. You just, you would rather not, who, who prefers to text over talking? Okay, so that's a few more hands. Um, what is it that determines whether or not you answer the call when the call comes in. It's like who, who it is, right? So if you see me calling you, you immediately answer, obviously, of course. Uh, ask my wife, I call her too many times a day. Uh, but who is it that calls you? Uh, when they call you, right? I mean, where you are, like, you know, if you're in the bathroom in a public place, you don't take the call, right? So where the call comes in, what the person, who's, who's uh, you know, deleted a call or rejected a call based on the fact that you did not want to talk about whatever it was that you thought the person wanted to talk about. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, I've done that. And so you're wondering if I don't take your call, if that's me doing that to you or not, now you'll be insecure. Welcome to that. Sometimes the ringtones, I I love to set ringtones for certain people. It elicits this response. I love to put the photograph with the person so I can see who it is that's calling. I can hear their ringtone. And sometimes I'm laughing when Josh Hull calls me. It's immediately, because I'm happy. I'll just keep it right there. But it always puts me in a good mood when Josh calls me. Even if he's gonna tell me something bad, I'm in a good mood just because of the ringtone. Think about this, as you begin a new year, you begin a new decade, what determines not how you respond to when other people call you, but how do you respond when you sense God is calling you? Think about that in the past, maybe in this current season of your life, in the present, and certainly into the future. How do you respond when God calls? Is it ignore? Is it block? Don't want that. I'm going to block that. Anybody ever blocked a number? Maybe you text back, hey, I can't talk right now, God, I'm busy, got too much on my plate. Maybe you take the call from God, but then you feign static, like, can't hear you, Holy Spirit, losing signal, and then you hang up. How is it that you respond when God calls you? Maybe, hopefully, you just answer the call. You're fully present, you're fully engaged in listening, as well as interacting with the creator of the universe, and then hopefully you follow through on the conversations. Now, whether or not that's you or not, whether you find yourself as a follower of Jesus or not, I wanna encourage you to at least be open to hearing 
God calling you. Now, when I talk about God calling, I'm not necessarily talking about an audible voice. In fact, everybody who heard an audible voice from God that we have recorded, they always freak out. It's always not a good experience. It's like, ah, you know, they're always really terrified. So I'm talking about the still, small promptings, the whispers of the Holy Spirit, the whispers from God coming through his word, through other people around you, through circumstances, whatever it might be where you might sense that God is calling you to something. Now, we're going to be in Mark for this series. And Mark and his gospel is thought to be out of uh, all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to be the first of the four that were written. It's the shortest of the four written, probably written between 55 and 60 um, AD. So 25, 30 years, maybe up to 65, but certainly before the destruction of the temple in 70 early on. And Mark was actually a companion of the apostle Peter. He traveled with, uh, with Paul. He traveled with his cousin Barnabas. And you can read in the notes, you'll see digital, uh, in your digital notes, you'll see a bio of Mark that we kind of laid out for you as much as we could about what we knew about Mark. But here's this guy who becomes Peter's secretary, so to speak. And I would submit to you that Mark's gospel is actually written through the lenses of the apostle Peter from his perspective. And, and Peter, had, Peter was in Rome. Mark was in Rome. Mark and him were together. Uh, Peter did some discipling with Mark and helped Mark out along the way. And eventually, after Peter was crucified on, for, for his faith in Jesus, Mark goes and leaves Rome, and he goes, according to history and according to early church tradition, he goes to Alexandria in Egypt and takes the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to Africa. He becomes the first bishop in Africa of the churches there. His letter or his gospel, his story of Jesus is fast-paced, it's quick, it's written to a Roman audience, and... It's written with Jesus pictured primarily with all authority, even as a suffering servant. And we're gonna see that throughout. In fact, Matthew's gospel is written to Jews and it's, they're trying, he's trying to convince the Jewish people that through the line of Joseph all the way to David, Jesus is the Messiah. Luke is writing to a real broad audience of Gentiles and he's tracing the lineage of Jesus all the way back to Adam. Mark doesn't care about the the lineage or the heritage because nobody in Rome cared about a servant's lineage. And that's how Mark is picturing Jesus throughout this story as we take a look at this. Now, we're gonna begin in verse one, Mark chapter one. I wanna invite you to follow along with me there as we consider all that this has for us right out of the gate. Mark one and verse one. The beginning, he says, of the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God, about the Christ, the anointed royal figure. And then Mark is going to spend the rest of his gospel, the rest of his story of the life of Jesus, defending and convincing us that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And he's gonna do that through miracle after miracle after miracle, through healings, through the supernatural work that what Jesus displays over and over and over again to not just show us that we're called and invited to answer the call, but to show us and that we should be convinced, that we should be changed and that we should be committed 
to following Jesus. Now, immediately, Mark goes into connecting the dots for his audience and showing us John the baptizer. John comes on the scene and picks up the story from Malachi 400 years earlier. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you'll look in your Bible and you'll see Matthew and then you'll see Mark. Well, the book right before Matthew is Malachi. That's the last uh, prophet that spoke 400 plus years before John arrives on the scene. And Mark picks up that story of a promised forerunner, a person that would come before the Messiah. Mark believed, as do we today, that John was that person who was announcing the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. Now, in so doing, Mark grabs from Isaiah the prophet as well. And listen to what he has to say here about who Jesus would become. It says of John in Mark chapter 1 and verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Notice that, a voice of one, what? Calling. There's a calling here. And it's in the wilderness, it's depicting, it's a reenactment of Israel's historical rescue out of the slavery and bondage. And then John's message is one that says, hey, I'm calling, I'm one of preparing, I'm one of making straight paths, ready for the Messiah. John would say of himself, I baptize you with water, but he, meaning Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John comes on the scene. He's in the wilderness out in the Jordan. And I was there a little less than a year ago, standing in the Jordan doing baptizing. And that's exactly where we find John. He's out there. He's proclaiming repentance. He's proclaiming preparation. And people are to respond. And so he says, hey, I'm baptizing you with water as a way to prepare. But there's coming one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then his relative Jesus shows up on the scene. And Jesus comes down into the water. And in a moment of depicting for us what we should do in response to following Jesus, he goes down into the waters and he is to be baptized by John. And in that moment, God the Father speaks over his son. And listen to what he says, beginning in verse 11. He says, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. The Father screams out from the sidelines, from the balcony of heaven, that's my son. I love him, listen to him, pay attention to him. And then Mark tells us immediately that Jesus extends the message. He heads out to do and begin his ministry. And he extends the message to the people then to become fully alive. He calls the crowds. Look at it in verse 14. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He's in the northern half of Israel proclaiming what? The good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Note that the story of Jesus is rooted in history, in geography, and in relationships. So put yourself in Peter's shoes as he relives this moment when he's called by his rescuer, by his redeemer, by his savior, by his rabbi. So you got Jesus, he's out and about, and Mark's recording this on behalf of Peter, and he's saying, he's preaching good news. 
It's good news. It's not bad news. And if you've bought into a version of Christianity that sounds more like bad news than it does good news, you've missed the message of Jesus because his message is good news. And so he comes into this world and he proclaims this good news. He begins to do ministry right there in those communities. And the apostles, the the people that Jesus will eventually call, they have interaction with him. In fact, the other gospels tell us that they heard Jesus teach, they experienced a miraculous provision of basketfuls, netfuls, if you will, of fish. And then this guy that they'd encountered comes walking by and he calls them. This is how Mark describes it through Peter's lenses. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who we know as Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Here's the call, come, follow me. And just as Jesus would speak that to those men that day, he's saying that to you and I 2,000 years later personally. Come, follow me. Then it goes on, it says, I will send you out to fish for people. At once, notice how quickly they respond. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he, notice this, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now we read that and we think, wow, what faith, what amazing. I mean, they just immediately responded. Well, you gotta keep in mind as you read Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke and John, you keep the whole vision of it together. Again, they'd experienced his miracles, they'd benefited from his miracles, and they'd heard him teach. And so when this rabbi calls them, they answer the call. And so with the remaining time that we have today, I wanna make just five observations that I see in here that I hope will help us as individuals, help us as couples, as families with our children to answer the call well ourselves and for the Riverside family to answer the call for the season that we see coming up in 2020 and the remaining decade ahead. These five observations will help us when we pick up the phone to answer the call, to answer the call of God well. First one in your notes, it's good news that we're called, specifically to follow Jesus. Rabbis, you see, the difference in Jesus versus a typical rabbi is is that the disciples would come and they would come to Jesus or they would come to a rabbi and they would say, hey, could we follow you? We'd really be interested in following you. We like your teaching style. We like your preaching style. We like the way that you unpack the Hebrew scriptures. And they would come and they would ask permission to follow the rabbi. But Jesus always flips things upside down and he does the choosing. Jesus goes and he does what the rabbis of the day did not ever do. He goes to a group of people that had been overlooked. If these guys were anything special, they wouldn't have been fishermen. They would have been rabbis. They would have been religious leaders or scholars of the day, but these are among the lowest in the classes. They're fishermen. And Jesus walks by all the impressive, educated, wealthy, empowered people. And he says, no, I want these guys. 
And he calls them and it was good news for them. And it's a mind shift for us as well that we could view being called by God as a good thing. It's a good thing that he's invited you to follow him. It will mean you live differently, but that's okay because Jesus live differently. And if he lives in you and through you, it means there will be implications for your life. And it's a mind mind shift set that changes in our world when we see it as good news that we've been called. We don't do it with arrogance. We don't do it with pride, but we are to be light and salt. Now, he says that it's good news. Jesus is bringing good news. That word in the original language is used throughout the Hebrew scriptures as well as in the Greco-Roman Empire to describe reports of victory that was brought back from the battlefield. So here's what would happen. For instance, the Roman army, they would go out and they would be in battles all over the empire. And when there would be a victory, they would send a runner back and that runner would come running back with good news, with euangelion is the, lang- is the language word in the original language. And that word would be a report that, hey, over here, there had been victory. Over here, there's been victory. Hey, there's good news over here. And so when Mark says that Jesus is proclaiming good news, and when, G- and when Mark says of Jesus and of his writing that it was gospel, it was good news, his readers could expect certain victory as a result of what he was proclaiming, and that's exactly what Jesus would proclaim, victory. Now, in the Hebrew writings and in the Roman writings, the word was nearly always a plural. In other words, it was one good report among many different good reports, but when Mark writes it, he uses it in the singular, meaning that there is only one good news of certain victory regarding Jesus. And that's been given to you and to me as it was to them 2,000 years ago. Now, number two in your notes is our calling is rooted in love. You see, rather than what we typically think of from a performance-based approach to faith, Jesus flips all that upside down. The Father flips all that upside down. We're called to live fully alive by the one who knows what it's like to be unconditionally loved and therefore our calling isn't based on our performance. It's as if God the Father, as a good parent, is over on the bleachers and he's watching it and he just can't stand it anymore and he hops up on the bleachers and he says, that one right there, that's my son. I love him. And notice that Jesus in that moment had not done a single miracle. He had healed no one. He had not done any teaching. He'd not done any preaching. He'd not raised anybody from the dead. He had not performed anything. And his father still loved him because his love was not based on his performance. His worth and his value were in who he was as God's son. And the same is true for you, ladies and gentlemen. Your heavenly father 
wants you to hear that you are loved. Your creator wants you to know that you are loved. And that's the beginning of the calling. Not because of what you've done or haven't done, but because you are made in his image. Our calling is rooted in a love like no other. Peter would tell you if he were here, he would clearly describe and candidly tell you about the love that he felt from Jesus even when he had betrayed and denied Jesus. Mark would tell you in his own life that when he left Paul and left Barnabas on a missions trip, and he couldn't hack it. We don't know all the details, but he got a second chance because he experienced the love of God through Barnabas. They would tell you that God's love is unconditional. And if you've bought any other version, hear the right one today. Now, I want you to think about how it is that you answer the phone. When somebody calls, what do you say? You're like, what? Is that how you answer the phone? Is it good morning, good afternoon, good evening? Hey, hi, yo, how's it going? Hey, I can't talk right now. Can I call you back? Stop calling me. What is it? How do you respond when somebody calls you? What's your tone? What's your cadence? What's the volume? See, all those things matter, but it's not just how you answer the phone. It's what you say when you answer the call. And when we answer the call, we begin as his children by saying yes. That, could you just say that with me? Yes. Okay, that wasn't too hard. Let's try one more time. Yes. Some of you are like, nope, I'm not gonna play along. <laughs> I'm gonna say no. <laughs> we begin to answer this call by saying yes. That's, it. Jesus said, hey guys, Peter, James, John, Andrew, come, follow me. And the answer was simply at once. They got up and they said yes. We're in, let's go. And we begin that same way. Now, notice that that means that it will require the same thing of me and you that it did of them. It meant that they would have to prioritize Jesus over family and over career. They left family and career. Now, does that mean they never had any connection with their family or never any interaction? No but there was a prioritization to answering the call that some of you have had to face. Some of you will have to face. You're gonna have a new identity in Christ. Will you have all the answers? Will it be neat and tidy, safe and pain-free, comfortable and convenient? No. And if you've bought into a version of Christianity that says it's all those things and it doesn't make sense is because that's not how it really works. Will it be messy? Will we make mistakes? Will we have questions? Will we struggle with obedience? Yes, we will. But saying yes 
will include an ongoing awareness of three things in particular that Jesus mentions in his own teaching. It means that we will have an ongoing awareness of the activity of God. There'll be a posture of repentance on our part and a posture of trust. Jesus said when he was preaching, the good news was that the kingdom of God was near. In other words, the activity and the work of God is present. That there would be a repentance and a belief. There would be a turning away. There would be a reversing course. And we would turn toward the one who does not compare, condemn, or shame us. Instead, we find forgiveness and wholeness as we submit to him, as we put our belief and our faith and our trust in the one who offers us good news. Number four in your notes is that our yes to the call begins our no to the fall. Our yes to the call begins our no to the fall. When humanity fell is the theological terminology that's used. When Adam and Eve first sinned and humanity became depraved and we became broken by sin and marred by sin, they call it the fall. But, but we begin to experience a, full, a, life, a fully alive life in Christ. There's two things that start to happen two things that mark a person who's begun to become fully alive in Christ. John mentions them both. He mentions water baptism and he mentions spirit baptism. The first thing that somebody who follows Jesus does is that they find some water and that water depicts that they're buried with Christ and that they are raised to new life in Christ. And it just so happens that on February the 23rd, there's a link in your digital notes. You can sign up on the back of the info card. You can go to the Connection Center and sign up. We have our next water baptism services scheduled in both locations. And we wanna invite you in 2020 to, to get into the water and be baptized in water. This could be your year. You've been saying, you know, I'll do it in the future. Oh, I should do it. You hear about it every few months. We talk about it. And you've been putting it off. In fact, maybe you said, you know what? I'll just do it next decade. Next decade is here. Isn't that awesome? It's your year, 2020 for water baptism. There's also, John mentions it, that Jesus wants to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit baptism refers to this idea that we have the Holy Spirit living within us to live out the life of faith through us. It's a supernatural empowerment and enablement to live fully alive. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is actively involved in cultivating those things within us which most glorify our heavenly father. The fruit of the spirit that we talk about a lot around here, the faith, the hope, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, all of those things. It results in a deep connection with our heavenly father in a life of prayer. And being baptized with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing daily filling where we are given the ability to say no to the fall. When we say yes to the call, the Holy Spirit lives within us and helps us to say no to the temptations that so quickly and easily entangle us. And then it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the emboldening empowerment to tell other people 
about living a life that's fully alive. And for some of us, that's like really scary. And for a lot of us, we have questions about who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, how he operates, how do I embrace this spirit baptism? I'm glad you asked. And it's now time for a commercial break where I will unashamedly refer you to my small group this fall or this winter spring. Uh, this semester, I'm gonna be doing a group on the Holy Spirit. There happens to be a link inside your notes where you can sign up. The last I checked, it was over half full. So if you wanna be in it, get registered today. Don't delay. If there's a waiting list, we'll try to do what we can to get you in there. But I wanna be able to talk about this stuff because we're just scratching the top of the surface today on what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us. But it is the Holy Spirit that grants us the capacity to live as light in this world. And that leads me to the fifth thing that Jesus said when he called his disciples, come follow me. He didn't say, I'm gonna make you a better version of you, which was true, That's hap that happened. But he said, I want you to follow me and I'm gonna send you out. I'm gonna help you to fish for others. In your notes, we're to invite others to answer the call. Two questions that I've been wrestling with myself. I want to ask them to you. But before I ask them, let me just tell you that they are not meant to embarrass you. They are not meant to shame you or to heap guilt upon you. They are meant to get you to think and to get you to have some conversations with your Heavenly Father. And they focus around this idea of inviting others to answer the call. Here are the two questions. Who found Jesus and began to follow him because of you last year or in the last decade? Who found Jesus and began to follow him because of your influence, because of the fact that you were in their lives last year or even over this last decade? That's the first question. The second question is who will find Jesus and begin to follow him because of your life in the coming year and in the coming decade? So let's have this conversation again at the end of 2029. But let's think between now and then about the answer to that and live in such a way that others see that we belong to Jesus, that we're fully alive. That's the expectation of every fully alive follower of Jesus. He sent them out, to follow is to fish. To follow is to fish. To follow is to fish. There is a cost to following Jesus. It will cost you time and energy and resources. It may cost you popularity, career advancement, but all along the way, you're, you've been planted intentionally in your company, in your division, in your department, on your team, in your classroom? Where is it that God has placed you and planted you on your street, in your neighborhood, with your friends, with your family, with your parents, with your children, with your spouse? And they need desperately to know that there's a God who's calling them and they need your help and my help to answer that call. We can't answer the call for them, 
but we can let them know that there's a God who's calling them. So how will you answer the call? This coming year, how are you gonna answer? Not just this year, but today. I've told you, it's good news that you've been called. Your calling is rooted in love. You say yes, and you begin to follow that call. And when you do, you say no to the fall. You're baptized in water. You're baptized in the spirit. The spirit of God begins to live and dwell and live through you. And then you help others. That's where we start this series. That's where we start this year and this decade. Now, today we wanna share with you some changes and some news regarding transitions that are coming this year within the Riverside family. And as we've focused on answering the call in our time together this morning, we're putting this into practice as your pastors. There is a new chapter coming in the life of Riverside. We're excited for what we sense the Lord is doing in this season, in this time, and we're sharing that with you today. We've been praying about this for months and months. We've been working on this for years. Both Pastor Bill and I have answered the call, and we're inviting you to join us in this new season. So having said that, I'd like to direct your attention to the screen. If you are new today, you're hearing from our lead pastor, Bill, and his wife, Teresa Ellis. Hello, Riverside. I want to take a few minutes to talk to you about why I'm excited for our church family this year and really for the Ellis family too. Several months ago, after a lot of prayer and thought, I informed our official board that the time has come for me to pass the baton of leadership to the next lead pastor of Riverside. Now, it has been the adventure and the joy of a lifetime to see the birth and the growth of this wonderful community that we call Riverside over the past 31 years. So as you can imagine, uh, this decision is not made lightly. But I do believe the time has come for me to transition out of this role for several reasons. Number one, my years in ministry and my education have given me the opportunity to invest in other leaders in both ministry and in business with a leadership coaching practice. And as I move into this season of my life, I, I want to continue to add value to others as long as I'm able to do that. Another reason is that, um, well, our families don't live near us and we want to take more time to care for our aging parents and really to spend time with our growing grandchildren because Teresa's retiring from her teaching career this year and I don't want her to have all the fun without me. Most importantly, I believe this is the time for David Kennard to assume the lead pastor role. This succession plan has been in discussion with the board for several years and I'm excited that David has accepted the unanimous decision of the board to let his name stand for that position by a vote of the active membership at the annual business meeting on March 15th. This transition is gonna take time and over this year, you're not gonna get rid of me after the decision by the members at the annual business meeting is made. My new role will be founding pastor and I'll continue to be on the teaching team and 
And during this time, I will be helping to mentor and coach David as he takes on this new mantle of leadership. And then at the end of the year, I will step out of my full-time role, and yet I'll continue to volunteer and serve in Riverside as needed and as I'm able. So it's going to be an exciting year. I'm looking forward to it, and I covet your prayers, and I know that your support and your continued support for David is going to be what this church needs because this is a church not of the people at the top. You are the church of Riverside. You are going to make this thing really happen, and you are why this church is so, so successful. So thank you. I'm here to support you and support the leadership and the staff here, and I'm looking forward to seeing what God is going to do. Can we express our appreciation to Jesus for Bill and Teresa Ellis in 31 years? They're not here in the room, but we do stream live. Just uh, today is kind of our inaugural weekend. We've been testing it this fall in our Oakmont campus, and there is a service. First and second services always stream from our Oakmont campus beginning really this week. So if you're wishing, oh, I wish I would have been in Oakmont this weekend to experience that, you can actually watch it on YouTube on uh, Facebook, from our website. There's all those areas that are out there. And you have questions, and I'll address that in just a little bit. But I can tell you that uh, when we answered the call as a husband and wife 25 years ago to follow Jesus as a, as a couple, um, we would have never envisioned that we would come to Pittsburgh, that we would have 22 years here on the team, that we would be able to see the Mills location launched at the Cinemark Theaters and be in four, up, coming up on 14 years here. And what an honor it's been for us. And we look forward to the future. It's a humbling journey that we've been on. We've been working on this for a long time. We're very excited about it. And, and again, I'll address some of your questions at the end of our time together this morning because I know you will have them and we do have a, an outlet for you to be able to do that. So having said that, enough about, enough about us, but back to you and most importantly to Jesus as the worship team comes and we prepare to respond and sing and receive these communion elements, how is God calling you? What's he calling you to do? Who's he calling you to be and how are you gonna respond to that call? Because you see, here's what Mark tells us that we didn't read today in the rest of chapter one. Because those disciples said yes to the call, they got to see a leper healed. They got to see all kinds of other healings. They saw miraculous working. In fact, there was a demon, who, a person who'd been possessed by a demon, and Jesus exercised that demon. And they got to see all of that. Peter got to see his mother-in-law healed by Jesus simply because they said yes. If imagine, just for a minute, imagine if you say yes to all that God calls you to, and that's your prompt default response to your heavenly father. Imagine what you'll get to see this year, this decade, and with the course of your life as your posture is yes to the call and no to the fall. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for loving us and making the call, not just to us, but to all of humanity for all time. Thank you for inviting us to follow you into a bold life of faith, deep trust, wholehearted devotion, 
and courageous steps of obedience. We're ready to experience the miraculous and participate in your kingdom now, here on earth as it is in heaven. We know that you're near and we want your will and we seek to be filled with your spirit. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So with the remaining time that we have, I'm gonna invite you to stand in just a moment. You'll go to the four corners and if you're not ready for this, if you don't feel comfortable or you have questions and you can just stay seated, relax, don't worry about it. But if you're a follower of Jesus who is fully alive in Christ, we encourage you to go to the four corners of the room, take a cup, take a piece of bread, go back and have a seat. The worship team will lead us through a song and then Abby Davis, as I mentioned earlier, is gonna come and she's gonna lead us through the communion elements. Um, would you stand and let's worship, let's respond together, let's go to the table as a family. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.